patriotism, faith, national unity, education, fiscal responsibility, civility, the values that define America. Fascinating stories and talks from America-loving patriots dedicated to preserving freedom, opportunity, and justice. Welcome to the Friends and Fellow Citizens Podcast. everyone and welcome to episode 113 of Friends of Fellow Citizens and the first solo episode of 2023. I'm your host Sherman Talosky. Thank you all so much for joining me for this week's episode. Hope you enjoy the new year and uh, with our previous interview episode, hope you are all enjoying the new 2023 episodes of this podcast so far. As a kind reminder, make sure to subscribe to Friends and Fellow Citizens if you have already. If you want to subscribe to our email list, you can do that down in the show notes below. Once again, we also have our merchandise, our two Friends and Fellow Citizens mugs are still on sale. If you want to uh, purchase one of them to support the podcast, that would be very much appreciated. And it's a great gift, obviously, for your friends and family. Not to mention, to th- we want to thank our Patreon supporters once again for their incredible support. Uh, it's a new year, and I just love how our Patreon supporters have been with us throughout this entire journey as we kick off another year of podcasting here on Friends and Fellow Citizens. So thank you all to our Patreon supporters. If you want to join, check out the links down in the show notes below. For this episode, I was thinking of looking at a, a president or two and really just thinking about the the impact of some of the presidents that we've we've covered, but the ones that we haven't covered a lot. In a previous podcast, I talked a little bit about President Pierce and how you know, there's some elements of his personal life that I think really can change the perception of him as an individual, maybe not as a record of president, but as as someone who I think tried, maybe tried to do what was best for the country, but did so in very, very dire circumstances. Well, there was another president who I always had some kind of curiosity about. Maybe it's just because there's a Seinfeld episode that mentions him, but uh, it was about President Martin Van Buren. Martin Van Buren is... I think a little unfortunate to some degree because he came after Andrew Jackson, which everyone knows, um, and as as basically the the seventh president and the, the kind of the ringleader of the Democratic Party. But Martin Van Buren actually out, laid out a lot of the foundations for that party, and ultimately, kind of how a major political party would operate. You know, he was re- very much in the roots of those uh, organizations and the or- organizing of different party activists all across the country to try to build the Democratic Party brand. But he was also seen as a president who I think was very much ignored because there was a huge economic downturn in 1837 called the Panic of 1837. Uh, certainly certainly a lot of people were panicking at that time. Uh, what Unfortunately, wasn't the last time that the country was panicking over an economic downturn. But he was very much blamed for that, and he kind of just – you know, drifted to some some level of obscurity. I mean, he was still kind of influential in the Democratic Party, but once again, he was only one term president. And given that there's so many presidents that were two terms, it was kind of he was just kind of an unlucky one there. He decided to really play some kind of big bigger role, but it wasn't really because he wanted to be president again in the sense that he didn't think he was going to win. 
was actually it actually turned out to be someone else, someone a little bit closer to him, someone who actually shares his name, and he is the actual fo- focal point of attention I want to bring out today. And this man's name is John Van Buren, who is the son of Martin Van Buren. John was born on February 18, 1810. He served as a lawyer. He went to study law at Yale and just a very, very prominent lawyer and ultimately was very well known as the Attorney General of New York. And at the time, during his two years of service, two, actually more than, more than, a little bit more than that, maybe like two and a half, close to three years, uh, he really was at the center point of some of these uh, in local issues, so-called state issues uh, that were dominating the state of New York at the time, uh, notably on things like on rent and on housing, and, uh, and just you know several others on murder trials. So just a lot of very publicized cases were going on when he was serving as Attorney General. But that wasn't really what I wanted to focus on. He, that was really the the stepping stone. You see, Van Buren and his father were, again, very much involved in democratic politics. But when election of 1840 was coming around, they didn't feel that this was a very good time for the Democratic Party. Zachary Taylor was the Whig nominee. Now, the Whigs were, again, a coalition of generally anti-slavery advocates. Uh, Zachary Taylor, I, I have to say this, but... Other than the fact that he served as a general and the fact that he's better than nobody, that's pretty much what his qualifications were for being the Whig presidential party nominee. So let's leave him aside there. The real issue was on the Democratic nominee. Now, James Polk had just served as president for four years, and he said he was absolutely going to leave after one term. And so the Democrats had a really hard time trying to find someone. And Certainly, it's no secret that parties generally have a very, very tough time with finding nominees. And the nominee that came out of that was a guy named Lewis Cass. Cass was, I think, was seen as like a bit of a compromise um, because he wasn't very, very, he wasn't like the most pro-slavery guy, but he was also... He was also seen as someone who could, you know, take a step back a little bit and say, "Okay, well, we can't really, we can't just go all out and just make slavery legal everywhere." Uh, the problem was that Cass couldn't really, I think, brand himself or wasn't seen as someone who could really bring different factions together. He was seen as someone who favored a bit more on the slaveholders' rights rather than the anti-slavery uh, hold, anti-slavery advocates. And Martin Van Buren, knowing that he was a former president, laying down that foundation for the Democratic Party, he thought he was going to have a good chance. But Cass and his supporters really beat him up on maybe some of his record and really just his stance on slavery. And ultimately, Cass came on top, defeating the former president. Now, I'm not sure what exactly the thoughts were going on in John Van Buren's mind, but he was watching all this and... He realized that he could be a very, very effective person on campaign on the uh, on the opposition to the expansion of slavery. Now, this is kind of important th- point to stop because uh, this is where a point where he was very much part of a new political party called the Free Soil Party. This Free Soil Party was based on one single issue only, which is they were to be opposed to the expansion of slavery. Now, this is not an anti-slavery platform in the sense that everyone in the party was against slavery. 
some had just had very different ideas on what slavery meant and why it had to be curbed. Some thought that the South just had a lot of power. Uh, some were still in favor of slavery, but say, look, it's good enough just to keep it in the states where they are. Uh, others obviously thought slavery was a moral evil. And so you have a lot of these people with different uh, different views of slavery, but they all opposed, they all coalesced around one thing, which is they could not allow the expansion of slavery to happen. They supported something called the Wilmot Proviso, uh, which ultimately didn't succeed, but it basically said that uh, that to slavery would not be expanded into any new territories, um, something that definitely did not last for very long, but neither did, did a lot of other things too. So it's kind of important to keep keep the Wilmot Proviso kind of in context with some other legislation that was happening at the time. Anyway, the Free Soil Party became a third party that was very much led by John Van Buren and others who were part of this other faction called the Barnburners. Now, you're probably wondering how in the world <laughs> there's this name called the Barnburners. I mean, it sounds, it sounds like a great, like maybe team name, like a sports team name, uh, but actually it was a political party, political faction, I should say, not political party, political faction of the Democratic Party. And the, the, t- the term was coined because uh, a lot of these People who were part of this faction uh, wanted to really just tear whole like institutions like banks and and uh, high level leaders just completely tear all these institutions down uh, for for certain abuses or for certain things that they didn't like about. And then this is, is was really about slavery. So they really were very much opposed to the expansion of slavery, and they were willing, at least what they were saying is that they were willing to take down anything for their particular cause. They were they were basically kind of like activists, but kind of, I think, in a bit of a higher level, in part because of John Van Buren and the former President Martin Van Buren. Well, John Van Buren, as a barn burner, as the, a leader of the Free Soil Party, was able to gather a state convention in Utica, New York, and he somehow convinced his father to run for president in 1848. The reason why this is significant is because you know everyone even at that point understood that if you're not a member of, if you're not the leader of either of the two major parties which at the time were the Democrats and the Whigs you didn't have a chance to win. But somehow John Van Buren convinced his dad to run for president again maybe not just because of the fact that he that maybe the former president wanted to get revenge on Lewis Cass cuz he lost the nomination but also because this is this might be a, a larger effort to try and coalesce anti-slavery advocates, perhaps the best effort in the, for the very first time as a third party. Martin Van Buren accepted the nomination. Uh, the Free Soil Party and the Barnburners vehemently supported Martin Van Buren. And the 1840 election results come in, and it's actually a lot more interesting than I initially thought, because you hear a lot about the winners of these elections, but you don't really know kind of some of the, the margins. Like I mentioned, Martin Van Buren was from New York, and so all this politicking was happening in the state of New York. It turns out that Zachary Taylor not only won, but New York would have been a deciding state that would have given either Taylor the win or given Cass the the presidential win. And because New York was able to have the, the vote divided among the Democratic Party, it was then basically voting for Zachary Taylor, uh, who ultimately won the election. 
So Martin Van Buren actually played a role in electing Zachary Taylor, who again, you know, it's not like Van Buren was very pro Taylor or anything like that. But for to get ten percent of the popular vote as a third party on one single issue of opposing the expansion of slavery, he really I think brought about a different, a more positive name for himself uh, among certain factions of the Democratic Party, and ultimately what would become the Republican Party. Now Van Buren and John Van Buren never really had any idea to leave the Democratic Party; they still stuck with it. But it's very interesting to see how Alden later on, as we kind of used hindsight here, hindsight's twenty twenty in much of history. But I would argue that because of Van Buren's nomination and his run as the Free Soil Party candidate in 1848, I think it might have, just like with the Compromise of 1850 and just some of the other pieces of legislation that delayed the Civil War, I think Martin Van Buren not only delayed the Civil War and potentially saved a number of lives, but I also think he 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 made it, even though he didn't win as a third-party candidate, he made it possible that anti-slavery advocates could coalesce around one candidate. This was not really possible in part because slavery wasn't really spoken a lot about in Congress under the gag rule in the late 1830s and the 1840s. Uh, but to have a lo- all these people with such different points of view to come together to agree on a nominee and to support that platform was incredibly significant for American politics. Ultimately, and as I said, John Van Buren would go back to uh, Democratic Party uh, politics. Uh, the barn burners, you know, they were around for a little while, but uh, they, they kind of eventually split and either went back to the Democratic Party or some actually went to form the Republican Party. And whether people support the Democrats or the Republicans nowadays, you got to admit that the formation of the Republican Party is a fascinating story. It's really just a conglomerate of different anti-slavery advocates from all walks of life from for all different reasons. And they coalesced and created that new party, the Republican Party, nominating John Fremont in 1856 as their first nominee. And, and just obviously one election later, they would nominate their first presidential candidate, Abraham Lincoln. John Van Buren did run for attorney general again, but he lost to the Republican John Martindale. Not sure if it's partly because of some of the other politicking that was going on with some anti-slavery advocates who didn't like the Democratic Party as much, or it could be some backlash against John Van Buren for his stance with the Free Soil Party. Uh, but he doesn't get a whole lot involved in some in other activities. There's just not a whole lot of of material discussing kind of what his views were on the, the civil war. If I had to guess, probably he was kind of on the Stephen Douglas side of things where he was obviously more supportive of the union. Again, he was not like a, a like a straight anti-slavery advocate. He was just, he, he was more of the moderate kind of wing of the, of the anti-slavery coalition at the time. What I found interesting was, you know, from the National Park Service, they discuss a little bit about Martin Van Buren, going back to the former president. And while the former president never actually became a Republican, uh, but he, it says here, and I, th- I find this quote really, really interesting, it kind of really encapsulates Martin Van Buren's later legacy as an ex-president. It says here, quote, the Free Soil Party was a key part of the growing anti-slavery movement that culminated in the Republican Party capturing the presidency in 1860. 
By reintroducing slavery as a national political topic, the Free Soil Party had laid down the groundwork for what would come later, and Van Buren, as uncomfortable, radical, anti-slavery as he was, had played a role in that. By endorsing the Free Soil Party ticket with his name as former president, he gave them legitimacy that they would not have had otherwise. Even though Van Buren himself would endorse Democratic candidates for the rest of his life, the impact had already been made, unquote. Now, who knows what Van Buren would have thought of the ultimate results if you were to come back today and see how the American uh, political party structure is laid out. He'd probably be saddened, surprised, maybe proud of himself to some degree, but maybe just a combination of those those three or more characteristics. But nonetheless, I think Martin Van Buren is very much an important character as an ex-president, and it's something that I didn't really think about before making this episode. A lot of people kind of thought Van Buren was kind of representation of the the old you know, form of the Democratic Party. And certainly at the time, in the 1840s, I'm sure there were a lot of people at the time who were born after Van Buren's time and wanted to rebrand the party in a different way. But the fact that his son was was involved and his son was such an effective speaker and able to campaign quite a bit for his dad, uh, I think it's just a very, very interesting story in American politics, something I wanted to share with all of you. And so it really just comes down to two takeaways here. The first really is just on Van Buren, I think, getting credit as an ex-president for setting that foundation, I think, for, for Lincoln, for the Union, and later on, the civil rights legislation that ultimately came after the war. He was certainly one who had a lot of flaws. Uh, he certainly could have been more responsible for uh, for certain elements of his presidency and you know, losing to William Henry Harrison. Yeah, I think it was kind of unlucky too, you know, because of the economic depression and whatnot, and Jackson really being the forerunner. But nonetheless, Van Buren is very important, not just in the Democratic Party, but I think really just the American political party. He's kind of seen, I think, in certain circles as an an influential character who defined what a political party was uh, as a presidential candidate, as a president as an ex-president and kind of an activist himself, just really, really embodying a lot of those different elements of what an American uh, politician statesman is. But the second, I think, is that the Free Soil Party, you know, led by John Van Buren, his son, and some others, I think the Free Soil Party teaches us the value of coalition building. You know, the Free Soil Party was had no shot of winning. Uh, they, I don't think they really even had a policy platform because, well, they kind of knew what their prospects were, or lack of prospects. But despite the huge regional, ideological, economic differences between these different members, they were still able to coalesce around that common issue. And I believe that that's something that we've lost today. We've lost that ability to build coalitions around single issues, or a package of issues. And, And that is really sad, because when we lose that ability to form coalitions, we lose that ability to be a bigger product or better product than just each individual. We don't have that ability to maneuver to be able to get a whole lot into the ring. Now, the Free Soil Party, again, they didn't have much of a shot, but the fact that they were able to lay that groundwork for a Republican Party and for a president whom everyone knows about, I think is a, is a fantastic contribution to unintended contribution to American history and the course of, of world history. 
coalition building, I think, is something that we we need to think focus on, not just in, as among politicians, but I think as voters too. If we can coalesce around common issues, we can find that common ground between us. Think about how much more we can get done. Think about how much more we can alleviate differences. So much in American politics, we hear a lot about how politicians acknowledge differences, like, oh, you know, we're we're different in this or different in that, or, you know, we have this disparity in that. And whether or not those disparities exist, the fact is that that's not really a path to building coalitions. It's about finding those commonalities of recognizing, saying, hey, I know that you come from a from whatever different perspective, but we arrived on this the same destination. We arrived at the same policy. And the fact that a lot of a lot of legislators are not getting to that, I think is a big issue. But I think it starts from the voters. It starts from you and me. It starts with people just talking things out, meeting over a cup of coffee. I always love the the coffee rule or the the coffee way of doing things. If you can get someone of different view to sit o- or sit down over a cup of coffee and maybe maybe some scones or or or, <laughs> or coffee cake or whatever it is. I think that's a big step forward because you, you're culminating, you're starting a relationship, you're starting from somewhere where you can start talking again. And I, I, I hope that in the studies, in, the, in American civics classes, I hope that they study parties like the Free Soil Party because I certainly didn't learn about this party. Maybe it was mentioned once or twice, but that's about it. But it's just a fascinating story about how a short-lived third party Along with some others, like the know nothings and others, just just it's just a part of the fabric of American political history that that should not be ignored. But I I hope that you you learned something today. You learned a little something about uh, the ex president Martin Van Buren. Not I'm not going to say he's the top president in, in the whole history of the United States, but I think he certainly gets a lot more. He should get a lot more credit for what he did to put his name on the Free Soil Party campaign ticket. And with that, thank you all so much for listening to this episode about John Van Buren, his son, and his influence on the ex-president. Certainly the uh, father-son relationship there I think is incredibly interesting to look at and something hopefully future listeners and uh, people in the future and politics will get to reflect on as I think as part of American history. Enjoy the rest of your day and rest of your week. And remember, a day in America is always better when we are with our friends and fellow citizens.